We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to One Royal Way here on Kansas City Sports Network. It is opening week. We are two days away from opening day, recording this on Tuesday, getting y'all ready for a four-game set at the K, uh, starting on Thursday afternoon at 310, uh, where Bobby Wood Jr. is going to make his big league debut, and the start of 162-game season begins. Joining me to talk about uh, this tonight uh, is my good friend Alex Duvall, uh, who hosts the Royals Farm Report podcast on this network as well. Be sure to check that out. Uh, if you're lo- listening to this on YouTube or on Spotify, iTunes, you'll find that show as well. What's going on, man? Not much. I am watching minor league baseball. I don't know if I can. Look, Vinny's batting. There we go. Perfect. Minor league baseball is on my, well, I hesitate to say TV, but I'm watching Vinny Pasquantino hit baseballs in real, like real games. This is amazing. Not, it's 3 1. Fifth inning. I'm just, I am so excited that minor league baseball is back. We are two days away, like you said, from major league baseball being back. Um, I'm kind of at a point where you can't tell me nothing. It is baseball yeah. season, baby. Yeah. The, uh, we're, we're done with the conjecture. All the predictions are starting to go out the window. And we just get to actually analyze what happens on a baseball field in real games that matter. It's a great feeling. And I, I can't wait to talk about this. This series, there's a lot of storylines to talk about. Before we do that, as always, the show is brought to you by Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Uh, let's hear a word from them right now. From the beginning, we knew right away that we wanted to do strength conditioning and a throwing program for the baseball and softball community. It wasn't something we were trying to back into or all of a sudden learn. We knew we were really good at these coaching these skills from the get-go. And the fact that we're in the same business and the employees are all on the same page, you know, we can write a program based off of what a kid needs, not just getting him stronger or faster from a general sense. It's what does this kid need? On the pitching end, we can say, hey, this kid needs such and such. He needs to do this or that better. A lot of times it turns out it's not something that needs to be fixed in the baseball cage or on the throwing mound. It actually needs to be fixed in the weight room. Big thanks to them, as always, for sponsoring this show. Be sure to go check them out if you know of a baseball or softball player that needs a place to train in the Kansas City area. Alex, let's start on the pitching side of things here, Um, and we'll specifically talk about Cleveland and we'll move into Kansas City. Uh, We know for sure that Shane Bieber 
2020 Cy Young Award winner, one of the probably top 10 pitchers in the sport, uh, is going to be starting on opening day. So it's going to be really tough. After that, I mean, but Cleveland's a pitching factory. So after that, it's some combination of Zach Plezak, Aaron Savali, Cal Quantrill, or Tristan McKenzie. It's a four-game set. So we'll see four out of those five. Um, I mean, that's going to be a grind. Like, it, it, I don't I don't know how to say it other than, like, I don't have very high expectations for the series. That's a rough draw right out the gate for an offense that has a lot of question marks. I will say also, though, that they do not have a, much of an offense left. Um, so right. the the our offense is going, like you said, going to have a hell of a time. That is a, that is one of the best pitching staffs in all of baseball. It is one of the best pitching staffs that is homegrown, most of it, right? Yeah. They've developed all of their own guys or acquired and retooled all of their own guys. So this is, this is the goal, right? You either want to be Tampa Bay, you want to be Cleveland, you want to be the Dodgers, right? the ability to grow and, and produce your own pitching. And if you're the Royals, this is the models. You can see it up up close and personal here on opening day. And like you said, it's going to be tough for the offense. But the nice thing is on the flip side is there's not much of an offense left. So the pitch, a young pitching staff that you're trying to break in, that you're trying to get going for yourself, a uh, good opportunity to get started on a really hot note. Absolutely. Like you, met, you mentioned a little bit about the lineup. It's Jose Ramirez, Fran Mil Reyes, kind of. And that's about it. Like they, they just don't have a lot. They've been shedding payroll. They've been trading guys, uh, you know, in marginally over the last couple of years. And there's not even a guarantee that Jose Ramirez is going to be there come Thursday. There are some rumors out there about him possibly getting moved. Uh, I know Hector Gomez, who's uh, pretty uh, locked in, especially as a reporter and insider on the Latin side for a lot of guys. And he mentioned the Padres tonight uh, as a possible trade before the the deadline kind of on Thursday. I don't know how much validity there is to it, but it's out there. Toronto tried to make a move uh, before they acquired Matt Chapman. Uh, so he's he's out there. How much longer he's going to be there, I don't know. If he gets moved before opening day, I mean, that that offense is going to be in a world of hurt. And there's still some thump in there with Bobby Bradley. Like I mentioned Fran Mel Reyes. Ahmed Rosario is okay. I mean, they, they have some pieces that are that are decent, but they're much better developing pitchers at this point than they are hitters. Uh, but it's still going to be a challenge for a pitching staff that I have a lot of question marks on the Kansas City side too. Yeah, and that's going to be the storyline, right, is the young offense, Bobby Wood Jr. I'm sorry, the young hitters as they as they continue to come, right? It will be a young offense hopefully eventually. But it's the young arms. It's the young pitching staff. It's where does Carlos Hernandez fit in long term? Where does uh, Daniel Lynch, Brady Singer, where do these guys fit in? Chris Bubich. Uh, they're going to roll out there, Granky, Keller, Bubich, Hernandez for the first four. And now, now it's a matter of where does where does the rest of these guys fit in? John Heasley's mm -hmm. back in Omaha. Pierce Jackson Coar will be in the bullpen. So, you know, I, I'm curious to see what they do with them. I think Coar's move to the bullpen could be semi permanent. I think it could be a good spot for him as well. So, uh, we'll see. But yeah, the young pitching staff and the way they they are able to develop them is is going to be the storyline all year, as long as Bobby Witt Jr. doesn't run away with like Rookie of the Year or something crazy. Right and. It's going to be fascinating what happens with the pitchers. Like, I know what I'm going to get from Zach Grinke. I'm probably going to get five or six innings, four or five hits, about six strikeouts, couple runs, and you take that. That's what you're going to expect. That's what if you get that from Zach Grinke all year. You know, add in a shut, you know, six shut every once in a while, or a you know four inning blow up. You know, well, that's what you're going to get from a 38 year old starting pitcher that throws below hitting speed at this point in his career. 
So now it's all about what are you going to get out of Brad Keller, who did not look very good in the spring? What are you going to get from Chris Bubich? Who I thought I thought he looked pretty solid overall. Or Carlos Hernandez, who got roughed up today for the third time in the spring in his three starts. So I just I have a lot more question marks and a lot more concerns than I did a couple of weeks ago. And I know it's spring and most of the time guys are working on stuff and it's not always A plus uh, lineups and you're you know you're, you guys are not working with their a, with their A plus stuff. But man, it, it is concerning at the fact that when you come into spring, there are a lot of times where you guys there are guys that especially young players that look markedly better or you see little bits of improvement. And I didn't see any of that. I didn't see it from Brady Singer. I really didn't see it from Daniel Lynch. Not really Jackson Coar, even though I thought he looked okay. It's going to be a problem. And I, I think it is certainly a concern for what this team needs to be. If they want to compete, they have to pitch. I think their I think their hitting core is going to be in a lot better shape. I because I know on the PD side, they're they're gonna be just fine there. I'm still kind of I still have some serious concerns about where the pitching staff is, at least at the big league level right now. And I think the the thing that I'm most curious about is how long they stick with some of these veterans who they've yeah. given a lot of grace to. It's it's funny to me. They sent all the kids back to minor league camp and started losing. Like they were on a roll. They were hitting the ball early on. They were winning games. They sent all the kids back to minor league camp and then they've lost what two, three in a row. It's it's funny yeah. how that works out. But like there's something to it. Like the kids that that they had up there are good. They can hit, they can field, they can run, they can pitch. It's how long do you ride out these veterans? I get it. They're veterans. They've been there. It's like, yeah, but they're very bad at it. Like they're some of these veterans are running out there just because they've been doing it doesn't make them good at it. So we'll see. We'll see how long they ride it out. But like we were talking about the other night, they can't give Ryan O'Hearn 400 plate appearances to prove it. They can't give Hunter Dozier another 400 plate appearances to try to get right for the third year in a row, right? That at some point there has to be production. And if they don't get that production, then they need to move on and they need to let the kids play. Yeah, so looks like so the alliance they're likely going to run out on opening day is going to involve Whit Merrifield, Bobby Wood Jr., Andrew Benintendi, Salvador Perez, uh, Hunter Dozier, Alberto Montesi, Nikki Lopez, Michael A. Taylor. Um, am I forgetting somebody? Am I forgetting somebody? So Carl Santana. Uh, so, so somewhere in that that line, and that's a fine lineup to run out on opening day. Like I don't have super high expectations for a lot of those guys, but. We'll see what happens. I think that's a solid lineup, at least for where the Royals are right now, as they want to give Nick Prado and MJ Melendez and Vinny Pasquantino, Kyle Isbell, some more seasoning. And that's fine. And Isbell's on the roster. He's going to factor in at some point, especially in center field, I think. For right now, like I'd, as meh as it feels and kind of underwhelming, there we at least get to watch Bobby Wood Jr. And I'm okay with that. For, for the most part, like being able to watch him go out there and they didn't they didn't try and game anything. They didn't try and feed us some BS of he's going to go down and he's going to work on his fielding at third base for two weeks. And then he's magically going to be fine and we're going to call him up or something like that. And I, I think in the Royals weren't alone in that. Like Julio Rodriguez got called up by Seattle. Spencer Torkelson by Detroit. Bryson Stott to, to Philadelphia. So a lot of these teams are just bringing up their young guys and just letting them go because they're ready to go. So. Uh, well, the change of mindset is—it's at least you know—it's a little encouraging in that regard. It's funny you mentioned that. I'm watching the Omaha and Indianapolis game, and O'Neill Cruz—they oh, sent him down in Triple uh, A. So I—I I don't know that I didn't register that, but you're right. All these other teams are promoting their top prospects, and the Pirates are like, uh, "Are we are cheap? 
owners. The, pi- the, the Pirates are a garbage organization and they should feel bad, but they don't because they don't care about winning. They just care about money. Um, but that's also not exclusive to the, just the Pirates. That's most of Major League Baseball. I digress. Uh, let's let's move. Let's not go down that rabbit hole. We went down that rabbit hole for most of the lockout. Um, so I guess we'll, we'll start. Let's just start with Bobby Wood Jr. and just talk about him a little bit. What are your expectations, at least early on, for him? Like, I don't want. We talked a little bit about this on Royals Farm Report that came out the day we're recording on Tuesday. Like, I feel like it's hard. It's hard to have, like, you know, realistic expectations because of how good he is. That like the unrealistic expectations fester really quickly because we know how good he is and how good he can be. But you don't, what you don't want is the Jared Kelnick unrealistic expectations that Seattle fans had last year. And when they struggle, they, you know, they, you know, throw their hands up. Oh, this kid's awful right away. Like there's, it's professional major league baseball. It's the 750 greatest players in the world. There is a learning curve, especially when you are 21 years old and you got, you know, a taste of triple a last year. Like I, I think if he hits, say he you know 85 90 ops plus to start the year cool as he's adjusting cold weather baseball it's not great like i think he's gonna be fine and he's gonna be he's such a good player talent's gonna win out but don't expect this kid to come out and set the world on fire the way we think he he can and he's sure he can but i'm not gonna sit out there and be pissed off when he's struggling for the first two weeks of his big league career happens to everybody yeah, the thing with him is his tools are so ridiculous mm-hmm. that he is going, I think, like like Mondesi, you can roll him out there and he's going to be an above-average producer in some capacity because the tools are so loud. I yeah. think the growing pains are going to come in the polish. The growing pains are going to come with some strikeouts, with a few errors at third base where he tries to do too much. He tries to hit a pitch that's not in the strike zone with runners on and two outs and he ends up striking out because he right. chased a pitch trying to play hero ball. Like there's going to be some of that. And, and that's where the expectations need to be like middled out a little bit is you have to know that the polish and the, and the experience that comes with being a big league veteran, isn't going to be there right away. Mike Trout got sent back to triple a right after his big league debut. Um, Bryce Harper. I know he made the all-star game when he was 19, but like, it, he wasn't lighting the world on fire like he does now, right? I mean, it took a year or two. It took half a season to get going. Think about Mike Moustakis, how awful he was for so long. Like, these, some of these guys just – it takes a little bit, and that's okay. But the carrying tools are so ridiculous that kind of like Adalberto Mondesi, I think he's going to produce in some capacity yeah. early and often. And it kind of gives him a hedge. It gives him a floor of a certain extent because he'll always be able to get a hold of one steal a base, make a dynamic play in the field that even if he's struggling and striking out like 30% of the time, the wow plays will mask some of the problems. So even if he does struggle, I think people will be able to get past it. And I I really think that there are some people who's, who are going to be in way over their heads when he's just a very average hitter with some great tools early on. But I really believe the wow plays will kind of make up for some of that. So I'm hoping we'll be okay here, but I totally get it. I think I heard on 610 the other day, they were like, well, all these other top prospects came up there with their team's best player right away. It's like, okay, let's just, let's pump the brakes just a little bit. It's, it's, it's very possible. He is. It's also very possible. It takes a learning curve. And I think that's the thing is just the patience. Like he can still be the best player in the world, even if it takes him a year or two. So. 
Yeah, that's kind of where I sit. And he's going to be fine. And I hope they don't send him down. Like, I think at this point, like, unless it is a complete bottoming out, which I don't foresee at all because of just his makeup, like the, the stuff you can't quantify that he, I think he's going to be fine. Um, he, he'll, he'll make it work. And, it, and he has a great core of guys around him that have been there, done that in Salvi and Wit and Benintendi, the guys that were in that room when Mike Matheny gave him the, the speech of you're coming up to the big leagues. And those, these guys are here to make sure that you be you. Uh, go watch that video if you haven't. It is it's awesome. Like those those types of videos are so cool, and I'm glad that we have that access to see those kinds of conversations. And you can see what it meant to him. You can see what it meant to Salvi and Wit and the conversations that they had going into 2021. That were we want this kid on the roster. He's that good right now. They believed in this kid for so long that they want him on the big league roster. They're getting it now, and he's a part of the future. So don't screw it up. <laughs> like by by being too fine with him just let him go and play and he's gonna be great remember how awful he was that first week and a half in double a no one remembers that because he figured it out pretty damn quick didn't he it was literally like 10 games yeah it was 10 games where we were like what the heck is going on and then by the end of the month we had completely forgotten about it because he had started lighting the world on fire and became the top prospect in baseball for obvious reasons I'm curious what they're going to do with the outfield situation because I think Edward Olivares and Kyle Isbell have earned some playing time, at least Kyle Isbell for sure. But I, I think, and I, I mentioned it a little bit with Jordan foot last week. It's really dependent. And eventually the outfield situation is going to work itself out when Montessi goes on the IL. Yeah. It sucks. That we got to bank on something like that. Like I but hate, it, I hate having to like have that hedge in there. I mean, you're right, but I, I hate it. It's like, I hate it too. I've, I've never, I've never seen like him and Buxton. I've never seen two guys get hurt and just be hurt so often. And mm -hmm. it's, I'm, I'm not saying it's their fault. I'm not saying this is in any way has anything to do with him, but it's like building a roster around that and trying to give credit where it's due and have grace and be, you know, be lenient and, and being understanding. And it's, and it's like, I cannot imagine how frustrating that is to like, plan on that because you're right like what do we do when it happens we're not talking about if when yes. it happens how do we go about this and um i do think that clears up some of the picture but man think about how loaded they are right now on the infield and how much better it could be if he stays healthy like right I don't know. yeah we'll I mean, I'm, I'm really excited i hope he can i mean if he stays if he plays 120 games oh my gosh dude this infield could be so good and it yeah. allows the outfielders to not have to have a roaming piece right just Stay yeah. there, just go play. Yeah, I, I, I will. I am totally willing to eat crow and all of it, all the crow in the world, if Montessi manages for the first time in his career to stay healthy for a full season. And if he can, I mean, we've seen like there was that stretch where he played like 100 games, and I think it was 20, I've been 19, 18 or 19, and he stole like 45 bags and he hit a, like 12 or 13 home runs. He was out of his mind the last month and a half. And if he can put that together, but it's such a big if because we have such like, it's a trend and it just had, it has been for years, even in the 2020 season. Uh, I think he was still playing banged up. Even if he played all 55 or 60 games last year, it was, he was awesome in the 10 game stretches. We got to see him and then he would go and get hurt for another 40 or 50 games. And it's just something you have to bank on. And I, the Royals are saying that they're going to, the training wheels are coming off. They're going to go and let him play. All right, cool. 
until that first IL stint, and then you're gonna ba- you have to baby it again because he can't he can't play every day. And if he can, then he's a three or four win player, if not more, because he, the, maybe playing every day will actually help him be consistent. What a concept that is, and you're in really good shape. Uh, but I, I I just I can't count on it. You, you just can't at this point. No, I agree 100. percent And that's the that's going to be the bummer in the outfield is when they have to start moving guys around and it's, you know, it's Hunter Dozier out there and it's Ryan O'Hearn playing right field. Oh my God. So please don't, that's going to be the thing that out into the universe. Please. Yep. There that's that. No, I mean, I'm not the one I don't make the lineups. I just, yeah. Yeah. Complain about them. Yeah. Um, to the bullpen really quick before we move on. Uh, this has been kind of a, a jumbled preview, but I mean, we're going to be talking about this for 162 games. There's a lot of storylines here. But Colin Snyder making the the big league roster, which I thought was was a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. I thought he looked pretty good in the spring and, and certainly earned that spot. But I thought they'd send him back to AAA because uh, he did not look very good when they sent him to AAA last year from AA. But at a certain point, he's been really good. And I'm curious what kind of role they have him in. I'd imagine it's probably like the mop up duty in a win or a loss type of role early on just to get him comfortable but he could end up being a sneaky good piece in this bullpen. I am probably the low guy on Colin yeah. Snyder. I, it's good. It's good stuff. He reminds me like I don't, ah, I hate to put this on a guy and I'm not saying he's going to be this guy. And I'm not saying he's as bad as this guy. He reminds me a little bit of Brandon Maurer and a little bit like I, yeah. the stuff's loud. Sure. Like you can't teach his ability to throw the baseball, but, then explain to me how he goes to AAA and gets whacked around and yeah. how guys don't seem to be phased by his fastball. I'm not, I'm not saying I've got the answers. I'm not saying that, Oh, he's clearly this and this and this. I, I'm just saying it looks to me like there's something left to be desired. And, and I get it. People are excited. Vandy kid, great story, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure he's a wonderful human being. I'm just saying, from the bullpen perspective, I hope I'm wrong because I'm right. looking at it like, okay, I mean, sure, it's it's fine, but there's 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 something there. I, I think the perception is he's way better, and and I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope you're right. Absolutely. that this isn't a, a big piece, but I'm just I'm looking at it, and it's it's one of those things where I've been wrong about guys like this before. I look at it, and I'm like, I don't see it. Like I don't I don't see what everybody else is seeing. And then they go on in there. Riley Green is a good example of this. He's probably gonna play center field for Detroit when he's healthy. I looked at Riley Green for a long time and I'm like, I don't get it. I don't, what is everybody else seeing in Riley Green that that I'm not? And he has ascending up prospect lists. He's he's gonna be the tiger starting center fielder. He's 21. Like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm AITA on Riley Green and, and Colin Snyder. I just I'm waiting to see it. So anyway, that, that was long form, but no, I, I get what you mean. I mean, you sort of have to temper expectations for a guy that, that struggled in AAA, but obviously they believe in him enough. And if he's made the the market improvements, then, you know, we'll see what happens. Gabe Spires in that bullpen now, uh, which we're, we're a guy, we're both guys that like him a lot. And he looked really good this spring. I'm a lot higher on him now than I was coming into. He's one of the few guys that I think really made significant strides from when we saw them last to the spring. So I'm curious what's going to go with that. But all in all, man, we get to watch baseball with K on Thursday, and that so is a great feeling. I cannot wait. I'm going with my dad. My dad, my dad, and I are taking some PTO, and we're going to go go on to opening day. It's my first time going to opening day too. So I, in all the years I've watched baseball, so very excited about that aspect of it too. 
Only opening day I was at was uh, 2016. With, oh, um, I don't even oh, remember okay. dude's name. Ray Fuentes was in right field against Matt Harvey in the New York Mets. Or did Harvey pitch that game, or did they bring Syndergaard out for opening night? I can't remember. If Harvey I don't was, remember. I don't remember. I don't remember yeah. either. But that was right after they broke out the gold jerseys. It was Sunday night baseball or whatever night baseball it was. But it was so cool. Uh, yeah. I was at that. So I was at that 2016, the first major league game of the season. Royals Mets. What a what a cool thing that was. But Ro- Royals yeah. legend Ray Fuentes. My goodness. Royals legend Ray. I thought. Okay, speaking of being wrong, I thought Ray Fuentes was going to be a dude like like a Kyle <laughs> Isbell type of dude like. Good defense, solid bat, be a fourth outfielder. Um, like I really thought Ray Fuentes would stick, and he was gone quick and never very, came back very so. quickly. Yeah. All right. So on the other side of this, we are going to talk about some predictions for the season, both Royals and MLB. Just a little fun thing right before opening day. Before we get to that, you're going to hear an interview that I did earlier today. Uh, with Kiona Sinks uh, with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. It's going to become a regular segment on this show, talking about ways to support the museum, um, you know, things like uh, events that are coming up and, and things of that nature. It's going to be really fun and talk about maybe a little history of the Negro Leagues every once in a while. But I'm very excited to have a little bit of a partnership with them on this show to to bring support to a great Kansas City institution that needs a lot, that needs our, our support as a community. So. Go ahead and hear that right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. 
joining me now, and hopefully uh, this is not the last time we'll have her on, uh, Kiona Sinks, the uh, what is it, the Community Engagement and Digital Strategy Manager for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, what we have coming down the line here uh, down at 18th and Vine in Kansas City at the Negro Leagues Museum. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, Joel, thanks for having me. And such an exciting year for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. I think since December 5th, uh, none of us here at the office has stopped smiling uh, at the fact that our late chairman, uh, John Jordan Bruckle-Neal, has rightfully taken his place into the National Baseball Hall of Fame. What a what a tremendous you know opportunity for the museum. What a way for Kansas City to celebrate in this national, you know, once in a lifetime moment. Um, it, you only get one induction. That's it. And so, you know, it's not lost on our staff that even though join, enjoying the, the joys of celebrating with the baseball community and local Kansas Cityans, you know, Buck, when he missed by one vote in 2006, he would have used this induction uh, to advocate for his museum in a way that allows us to financially start to think about the long-term perpetuity of our institution. And so that's not lost on us this time. And so we'll be uh, working very, very intentionally to, to make sure those plans align with uh, some, some big fundraising goals. So we're, we're excited about that. And of course, the museums, just like most people, bringing back you know, our annual calendar for 2022 calendar of events um, in the hopes that this crazy virus stays away from us. But we're excited. Uh, it's an exciting year for the museum and, and it's an historic one as well. So we're, we're really looking forward to this year. Yeah, the induction of Buck is long overdue, and I'm very happy that he's going to have his time. I know it is far too late, and I wish he could, you know, as the baseball community in general wishes that he could be there for it. I know that uh, that Bob and, and everybody at the Negro Leagues Museum is going to do it justice uh, when he is inducted in Cooperstown, uh, as he rightfully should be. Um, how is the prep for that gone? I mean, we're, we're still a few months away from the induction in Cooperstown, but, uh, but you know, give people an idea of, you know, what, what that has been like to, to get ready for such an event. Yeah, I don't think it's a one answer. I think it's a multi-layered situation. I mean, number one, we're planning for Cooperstown festivities, right? So the the traditional, you know, for those who have been to Cooperstown, I have not, so this is my first time. But you have their their tradition, their traditions and what they do. And then the museum, we're hosting our own event in Cooperstown in honor of Buck O'Neill, um, with some great panelists that I can't wait to share once things are are kind of set in stone and confirmed. But you best believe, you know, we're going to roll out the red carpet um, in honor of Buck there in Cooperstown and, and host an event that's going to pay homage to his legacy and what he what he's done for the game of baseball and what he's done for uh, the community um, nationally. And just what what a, what an amazing human being, uh, uh, such a person who, who did so much uh, to, to help us understand the contributions of the Negro Leagues. And I always, you know, like to point out, you know, I talk to Bob a lot. And one thing that I hear him always make mention of is when he asked Buck O'Neill, you know, why did he want to build a Negro Leagues baseball museum? And, you know, just so short and, you know, pointing in as Buck does, and he just simply said, so they can be remembered, so we can be remembered. And so I think now we have that opportunity to make sure Buck, you know, his legacy uh, will always be intact and will always be remembered. But I think before the the Hall of Fame, you know, announcement, Joel, we all could agree that Buck was always a Hall of Famer in our eyes. Absolutely. And so I think this just, you know, confirms everything and validates what we already knew. Yeah, it's something that you that was exactly what I was about to say. It validates what we already knew about what Buck O'Neill has done for the game and his impact that goes beyond the field of play, obviously. Um, 
you mentioned a little bit about getting kind of back to the normal calendar of events at the museum. What can people look forward to, uh, to come to the museum and see, or, uh, you know, beyond that? Absolutely. Well, we just came off an incredible high through Black History Month with our Kansas City Royals. Uh, they graciously and, and generously uh, paid for all the admission for the entire month. And so we're going to continue that momentum into opening day this week. Um, and there's some exciting things in the works there. Um, and we're really excited about this amazing opportunity that the Royals and the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum have to celebrate not only Buck O'Neill, but to work more in alignment in the community and helping us and helping people understand uh, the importance that that the role that the museum plays. And I think we saw a little bit of that during Black History Month. I mean, Joel, we, we saw close to 8,000 local Kansas Cityans that visited the museum just, to, just because of the simple fact that they announced free admission, right? And so what that mm -hmm. tells us, you know, half of that people, you know, it's been 10 years or I've never been. And so you start to kind of understand, you know, the local potential and what in which ways the Royals in, in the museum can continue to work together to just simply help educate people. Um, and then next, you know, Jackie Robinson Day is, is, is approaching very fast. And so this year marks the 75th anniversary of that milestone occasion. And the museum's contribution to the 75th anniversary is our traveling exhibition that's called Barrier Breakers. And Joel, that chronicles after Jackie. Um, so each player is highlighted uh, who broke their uh, MLB's perspective color barrier uh, because no one remembers those guys. Everybody remembers Jackie, but what right. about the 16th guy, right? Um, and so that's our contribution, um, and it's launching with the Dodgers, and we're really excited about that. It, it's actually here on permanent display at the museum. So for those who have not seen the new exhibit, they can come to the museum and see it on display, but we're packaging that up into a traveling exhibition that, that is in partnership with the Los Angeles Dodgers. They'll keep it into the all-star break and then we'll, we'll, we'll move forward from there in the hopes that, you know, every MLB team will, will want to host this exhibit because it is important as it tells uh, the story of black baseball. Yeah. That, that's such a fascinating story. And I remember listening to, I'm, I'm an avid listener of the black diamonds podcast that, that Bob hosts <laughs> and listen to that whole story of the barrier breakers going all the way up to, I think it was uh Pumpsy green and the red Sox yep. at the very end. If I remember correctly, if yep. I got it right, please let me know. Um, you go just going all the way through. It's fascinating that those guys are kind of lost in, in all of this. And obviously Jack, what Jackie did was remarkable and should not go understated, but those guys were just as important to the history of the game. Uh, as Absolutely. well. So it's, it's very remarkable. Absolutely. And then, as you mentioned, just coasting into the year, uh, we always do our community oriented event, the Heart of America Hot Dog Festival, where we simply just have a, have hot dogs and R&B funk music here in the historic 18th and Vine District, our Hall of Game ceremonies that we've been doing for many years, where we host formal ceremonies here to honor former Major League Baseball players who embody encapsulate the spirit of the Negro Leagues. And so this all takes place takes place here in Kansas City. And we have not hosted any of that in two years. And so we're really excited to bring a lot of those things back. And of course, I mentioned the gala uh, earlier, our Kansas City Hall of Fame celebration that uh, nonprofits, community-led organizations, civic leaders, sports, you know, people in the sports community will have an opportunity to join us in later in November of this year um, for Buck O'Neill's birthday. Uh, along with celebrating his induction. So we'll end on a very high note, but, um, you know, all this stuff doesn't happen uh, overnight. So it's definitely been a lot of planning for me. And when you ask, what does all this look like? 
Right. Uh, we have a great we have a great staff here at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so there'll definitely be some volunteer opportunities that the community will be able to help assist the museum in that way. Because uh, we can't do it by ourselves, but it's going to be an exciting, exciting year for us as well. Absolutely. So besides the obvious of going down to 18th and Vine and going to the museum, what are some other ways that, that people can help support what you guys are doing over these next few months? It's obviously a whirlwind, but what, what can people do? You know, Joel, I think people can become a member. When you sign up and you pledge and, and you become a member of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, you're a part of our family. And I think a lot of people probably know or they're like, oh, I thought I was a member or they didn't know we had membership you know, op options available to to choose from. And so I I'm three for three right now. I've been on this, you know, every chance I get, I kind of plug membership and I've been getting emails and text messages that, oh, you know, for in honor of Father's Day, you know, my sister, she went and bought 10 memberships that she's going to give. That to me, it's it, it kind of validates, you know, you're a part of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum family. So I would encourage people, of course, you can always donate to the museum, but becoming a member of our organization, you're, you're essentially a stakeholder. Uh, you support our work, you believe in our work, and you're helping us keep the, the legacy and the history alive in honor of the Negro League. So become a member. People can do that on our website any given time, affordable options for you to choose from. But I would highly encourage people to become a member of the Negro League Baseball Museum. I think that's going to be on my list of things to do this year. Right? That's for sure. Uh, before I get you out of here, Kiona, thank you so much for your time today. And we'll definitely do this again soon. I have to ask just because I, I love the history of the game and it's, and the new, as I mentioned off air, that the Negro leagues is one of my favorite things to study and look at because it is such a fascinating time in like in the history of the sport in your time at, you know, working for the museum and being around Bob, is there a, a certain player team moment that you've learned about that fascinates you above any other? I think right now, as we embark on celebrating the 80th anniversary of that 1942 Kansas City Monarchs team, you kind of take a step back and you realize how much they sacrificed for our city, how how great of athletes they how great of athletes they were, but not only that, living and operating in our communities. You know, you saw Satchel Page, you know, within our city you know, working and thriving while playing baseball and being one of the best pitchers, you know, baseball has ever seen. And so the more and more I hear, you know, a lot within the museum, of course, in reading and studying and learning, but also listening to Bob and talking about the Monarchs, which, as you might know, we're, we're getting ready to celebrate and have a, the March of the Monarchs on May 7th yes. uh, and giving them the, 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 the celebration and the parade they never had. And so right now, the Kansas City Monarchs, you know, it's been top of mind. I've been looking at a lot of stuff, but it's just so fascinating to, to see, you know, here, here are these guys that were just, they were legends. You know, they were, they were the, the New York Yankees uh, of the Negro Leagues, as we say here uh, at the museum. And so it's really cool to see, you know, how much Kansas City played a tremendous role in Black baseball, the founding of the Negro Leagues, you know, and the names we know, like Hilton Smith, Buck O'Neill, Satchel Page, all these incredible athletes that called Kansas City home and played right here. And so that, to me, just shows that we we birth greatness. I mean, our history reflects it. Uh, and so our present shows that as well. And, and the contributions of the Monarchs should never be forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. There's such great hit. baseball history in this city. If you have not gone to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum for some reason, go down and check it out. It is a, it's an incredible place, and I need to make sure to, to go again soon. Kiona, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it.
Thank you, Joel. And keep wearing that 1942 cap. I love it. My wife got it for me for my birthday and I, I wear it at least once a week. Amazing. It's, it's my favorite. Can't wait for the next uh, interview I get to do with Kiona. And hopefully maybe I, I'd love to interview Bob in the future. I know how busy he is, but that would be like a dream come true for me as a, a amateur. I call myself an amateur baseball historian, uh, but that it, just to be able to talk to a guy that knows so much, uh, that would be a ton of fun. So let's start here, Alex, with our predictions. Let's just go right out the gate and talk about record for this season. I know Vegas has anywhere from like 73 to 75. Uh, I've seen 70. I've seen upwards of 76. I think it was a bet MGM, but 74 and a half has been the, the main one that we've seen over under. I I'm thinking over not significantly. Like I'm probably it's like 77 and 85 to me feels right for where this team is. Uh, Vegas knows all. And so I'm probably an idiot, but I do think the having Bobby Wood Jr. in the lineup every day is going to add a, at least two to three wins realistically. And I also think in all honesty, the team is going to be better when Nick, MJ, Vinny, in some capacity, come up and play. They're just better players at this point than the guys are running out on opening day. It just, it's the way it is. And it's not a slight to those guys. Carl Santana, who's made an incredible big league career, uh, you know, just done, has done it for, for 10, 10 plus years. But at this point, I would rather see Nick Prado or Vinny at first base. I would rather see MJ in the lineup over Ryan O'Hearn. I would rather see Kyle Espel in the lineup over Michael A. Taylor. And I think the team could be better that way. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think we've seen, at least covering the minor leagues, like we've seen these dudes for multiple years. And what we saw from them in 2021, shoot, like I, you can't tell me at this point that they're probably not, or they're not going to be better big league players, at least at this point. No, I agree. And I, I think when the young guys get here, that team will be better as well. So, uh, we'll see. I've got him at 79 and 83. I am hammering the over on this. Part of it, I feel like, is like emotional, like because they, I, in my opinion, they have to be. Yes. In my opinion, they have to be over this win total. They have to show improvement. If they don't, Royals fans are going to riot. And, and, and I'm not saying if they win 75 games, Royals fans are going to be pissed. But if they win 72, if they go I... backwards, Royals fans are going to be upset and it's going to be like, again, it doesn't have to be outright like playoff contention, but they have to show signs of life. There has to be improvement in the rotation. There has to be improvement with the young bats. And maybe that's why I'm leaning to the over, but this team couldn't be any worse than they were for most of the first half last year. And they showed some signs of life down the back, back half of the, uh, of the home stretch there. So you know, the AL Central is not what it once was. The Tigers aren't very good. Cleveland might, you know, like you said, sell Jose Ramirez, and then they're not, you know, super scary anymore. I, I'm not buying Minnesota. And Chicago, I think, will be down, especially if Lance Lynn misses an extended amount of time. So uh, there's there are wins to be had. The NL Central is not very good. So, you know, there, there are wins to be had, and I just think, Wait, do we play the NL Central? League? It's the NL West. West. So there are oh, wins to be had against the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. Yeah, never mind. The NL West is is loaded at the top. So forget I, I said NL Central. We play the NL West. But anyway, there are wins to be had in the AL Central. And I think this team needs to be close to 80 wins. I'm not saying they have to be or fire everybody, but they, they just they have to show us signs of improvement. So I've got them at 79 and 83. And I do have them finishing in fourth place in the AL Central. I think 
Cleveland is good to be right around 500 every year. I think they finish a couple games above um, the Royals. I think the Twins are right there in that slot, right above the Royals. And I think the White Sox are the clear runaway winner. So I think I said they're going to finish fourth. I don't actually have that in the tweet. So maybe they maybe they finish third. But I don't think the difference between second and fifth is more than like 10 games. Like I think I think yeah. the, the the rest of the pack is, is pretty tight in there. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, I th- I think that if they finish third or fourth, like it feels like it's a three way coin flip between Cleveland, Detroit, and Kansas City for anything from second to fourth, uh, and you could flip you could flip it any way, and I'd probably believe you. I don't buy Minnesota at all. I just I they who's gonna pick if Sonny Gray is your ace? Like, yikes, man! Like, who's in their bullpen? Like Tyler Rogers, Taylor Rogers. Other than that, like, I just don't know, man. Um, I like Rocco Baldelli as a manager, and I think they're they're going to hit, obviously, with Correa in that lineup. And if Buxton can stay healthy, Miguel Sano, sure, I think they could hit. Gary Sanchez, maybe, 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 maybe getting out of New York would be good for him because they hated him. But I just, I, I don't buy into them at all. I think Detroit's actually going to be kind of sneaky. I really like it. I think AJ Hinch is a great manager. You can say whatever you want about what happened in Houston, but he's a really good manager. And they traded for Austin. They went aggressive and they traded for Austin Meadows. They got Javi Baez. They brought up Torque. They still have Miggy. I know Miggy's all on the you know back, like on the seventeenth hole of his career, but he still can hit. And when they get Riley Green back, along with their young pitching staff, they could put it together really quickly. And then the Royals really have to get aggressive and start winning because then you fall even further behind a White Sox organization that is probably going to run a train through this division and most of the American League. Yeah, I think the rest of the AL Central is 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 really up for grabs. Like if the Royals went eighty three and eighty one and or I'm sorry, eighty three and is it eighty one? Dude, I can't. Yeah, eighty three and yeah. seventy nine. My God, um, if they win eighty three games and finish second place. Would it really surprise you? Like, no. Just at this point, so we'll see. That's why I think the Royals can be, win, finish above their projection. I do think the White Sox run rampant for the most part. Um, but yeah, yeah. All right, so let's let's give out some awards for the Royals. Um, who is going to be their MVP this year? Bobby, I Wood think Jr. it's pretty obvious. It's Bobby Wood Jr. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's really a second option. I think Salvi is probably your second place. Um, he, I don't think he's going to hit 48 homers this year. That is such a tough thing to replicate for any player in professional baseball. But if he hits 35 to 40, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, especially if they can bring up like an MJ or something like that to take some of the pressure off him catching in the second half of the season and just let him DH and just mash. I think that that's the best case scenario. Yeah, I didn't um, think you were actually going to agree with me there. I figured you would take Salvi. So when I said Bobby Witt Jr., I thought I was like throwing out a hot no, take. No, you agreed with me. I was like, oh, like am I am I in the majority here thinking it's going to be Bobby Witt Jr.? I think it is. I mean, he's probably the most talented player on the team right now, for being honest, like – it's not a knock on anybody else that's done it and cut their teeth in the big leagues for that long, for as long as they have, but the tools are just better than just about everybody. The power tool on Salvi is maybe better than, than wit. But other than that, I do think there's some like fatigue, like the, the way we forget like about Mike Trout is the clear best player in baseball. Sometimes. Yeah. I think sometimes we do forget about Salvi. Like, and every time I say this, I believe it. I picked Bobby Witt jr. To finish first in the team in war. I think he wins the MVP. 
But sometimes I even like admittedly forget how good Salvi is and just like yes. you got to circle Salvi back to it. Salvi is awesome. And he is going to have another awesome season. I, I don't think that he's going to fall off a cliff the way some people think. Uh, he's not the 50th best player in baseball. He, I think he is very much better than that. Uh, but I, I do think Bobby Wood Jr. is just a better player. At, at like overall, plays a better, more, more defense, a little more hit. They're going to strike out a lot. Both of them will, but they're both going to mash homers. So we'll, we'll go there. And if I, you want to give me a third, give me a Chris Bubich like breakout season. I think the feel to pitch for him, it's much better than any of the other guys that he came up with. And at some point like there, that does work and he can run it up into the mid nineties. If he can get that slider to work and have that fourth pitch, then I think he's going to be really good. I've always liked Chris Bubich. I loved him when they drafted him and he, completely sold me with this 2019 season. I think he's going to have a really good year. I wouldn't be surprised. I, the changeup is one of the best pitches in the system when he's right. I just can't believe a guy. I mean, his, his delivery's funky, so maybe I shouldn't be so surprised. But a guy, a lefty that throws 90 to 92 most of the time, like you said, he can run it up. And he needs to do it more often. But mm -hmm. his command is so bad sometimes. Like, it is yeah. – and, and he'll miss in the same spot, like usually with a big leaguer. You know, we've missed in the same spot now two, three pitches in a row. He'll do it for an entire game and, and doesn't doesn't get his fastball changeup out of that high arm side miss. Yeah. And so like it's got to get – at some point he's got to get back uh, over the plate. And, and sometimes he doesn't for like an entire outing. And it's just like, how can you do this over and over and over and over again? So we'll see. His stuff is certainly capable – but if the if the steps in the right direction come for him, I really think he could he has the chance to be the best of that bunch. Yeah, I think for him, and I probably mentioned this on previous Royals Farm podcast before we were with KCSN, and I do think some of his command issues and some of that stuff is just kind of part and parcel with his delivery. That it is so funky that sometimes his arm can lag, and you get that high high and away miss. But if you try and take that away from him, then you're losing some of the deception for a guy that doesn't have overpowering stuff. So there's some weird kind of give and take there that you almost like you take it because the deception is there enough that he's still going to miss bats. But if you try and straighten out and iron out his delivery, then you lose some of that deception. And he gets hammered even more. So there's there's a cut. There's some contradictions there with what he could do. So I. I don't know. And he also mentioned last year there, he had that stretch in the about a six week stretch from July through the first part of September, where he was awesome. And one of the best pitchers in the rotation. And he talked about being too fine and just trying to locate. And he just goes, no, I'm just gonna go out there and throw the crap out of my fastball. And I'm just going to throw it as hard as I can. And aim small, miss small. And he just started striking dudes out a little more. So I wonder if that change in mindset does help him as well. I hope so because when he runs his fastball up to 96, it makes me feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. And and it's not something that makes me feel that way very often. So uh, I, I hope so. He needs to. That is the number one predictor of success is how hard you throw your fastball. So go out there and let it rip. That's also how we teach command, right? Is yes, throw your fastball hard over and over and over again and then train your body to throw it where, it, where you want to throw it, not guide it and aim. And that's like little league stuff. So, I hope so. I hope he goes out there and rips it because it's a good pitch and his changeup will play off it even better. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's some interesting things to to go with that. Um, what else do we want to do? 
I kind of mentioned a little bit about, so who, like, who's your breakout guy? Chris Bubich is mine. Who's your breakout guy this year? Dylan Coleman. I think he is a oh, bona fide yes. big league closer. He has top of the world stuff. It is phenomenal. What a pickup by the Royals and what a, what a story, his work ethic to come back from all the injury issues that he had in San Diego and then even through his time in Kansas city. And I think he's their closer by June 1st, like I've said in the past. And I think he's a, I think he's a borderline all-star. Um, and the next Scott Barlow, this bullpen, I think he's really, really, really good. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I like that a lot. So this without knowing what it would be, and this is kind of an off the wall question, but we can, and we'll go into some MOB stuff here. Who do you think will have the best walk-up song or walkout song this year? Who I I really always liked Jorge Soler's music that he walked out to. Yeah, um, he had a song called La Gozadera earlier, and it's um, by a his uh, is it a Cuban group or Dominican group? Gente de Zona. It's, it's oh, pro- probably Cuban. I mean, he's Cuban, so I'd assume it's probably Cuban. Yeah, but I don't think they. I don't know. Are like I anyway. I, I honestly don't know. Um, yeah. Jorge Soler always had great walk-up music. And then <laughs> Whit Merrifield, was I at the game with you when I said Whit Merrifield looks like a guy that would walk out to TikTok songs? Yes, and he did. And he did. He, he walked out to uh, Astronaut in the Ocean song. I was yes. like, God almighty, Whit, don't be so predictable, man. <laughs> um, so Whit Merrifield has the worst walk-up music. Eric Hosmer and Lorenzo Cain always had great stuff. Who on this team, though? James Shields always had great walk-up music. Um, Duffy always had great walk up. Kobe Herrera's El Abayarde was mm-hmm. that one was good. El Abayarde, yes. Um, let's see. Uh, I'll pick this year because Nikki Lopez has kind of sucked. I'll take um for best walkout song on opening day. You're gonna be there, so you have to report yeah. back. I will take um I'll take Michael A. Taylor. Give me Michael okay. A. Taylor because I feel like he had a good one last year, but I don't remember what it was. So yeah. I'll take Michael A. Taylor. I could see okay. him walking out to like some some old Snoop or some old ice cube or something. Yeah. I'll need, I'll need to, I'll see if I can like, I won't, even if I don't know the song, like I'll at least power rank it and we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. I'm going to Google it. I think he had a really good one last year. Yeah. I'm going to go with Scott Barlow, but I wanted to go with Andrew Benintendi for a second. Cause I know he's like an Ohio guy. He went to Arkansas. So a uh, little bit of country music, but I think he walked out to like low cash last year. So that's some like Nashville pop stuff. I'm not into that. So, um, no, I, I'll go with Scott Barlow. I feel like he would have like something good coming out of the bullpen. I think I think Michael A. Taylor walked out to an Andy Mineo song last year, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm off on Michael A. Taylor, but I'll take him for best walkout song this year. Scott Barlow is a good pick. Doesn't Scott Barlow? Never mind. We'll talk about that off air. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's do just some MLB predictions real quick. Let's just run through them. We don't need to give too many explanations, but uh, give me your – AL and NL division winners and the wild cards. AL East, I've got the Yankees. I've got the White Sox. I've got the Mariners. Maybe I shouldn't, but I do. I've got the Mets. I've got the Cardinals. I've got the Dodgers. I've got the Red Sox, the Rays, and the Angels getting a wild card. I've got the the Padres, Phillies, and Braves getting a wild card. So that means I have no Toronto, by the way. Uh, We'll get to that in a minute. I've got an uh, all-New York world series i got the yankees over the mets i've got mike trout winning mvp i've got acuna winning mvp i've got an a of all cy young a scherzer cy young a Witt jr rookie of the year my neil 
Like O'Neal Cruz pick isn't looking so great right now for NL Rookie of the Year because he is in AAA at the moment. Um, and like I said, I've got the Royals at 79 and 83. All right. So going down uh, in the American League, I have division winners, the Astros, the White Sox, and the Blue Jays. NL, Dodgers, Brewers, Braves. Wild card in the AL, Rays, Red Sox, Mariners. So notice who's missing out of that from the AL. And then uh, in the NL, Phillies, Cardinals, Giants. So I don't have any either of the, the your, your World Series is not in my playoffs. Uh, division or uh, MVPs, Mike Trout, Juan Soto, Cy Young, Garrett Cole, Sandy Alcantara. Going a little sneaky pick, but I also have a plus 4,000 ticket on them, so I'm banking on it. Uh, rookie of the year, Bobby Witt Jr. and Bryson Stott. I have the Royals at 77 and 85. My World Series, Braves over Blue Jays in six. Very nice. I don't have the Astros or Blue Jays in the playoffs, which the AL playoff field this year is it's loaded. loaded. It's loaded. I don't know how you pick six teams out of that. Yeah, um, I I went with the – maybe I'm buying into the darling a little too much with the Blue Jays, but their pitching staff is really good, and they're going to mash. If they can figure out the back end of that bullpen, which they have some dudes like Julian Merriweather, Jordan Romano, Nate Pearson – that if they can just find one dude to lock it down in the ninth, they're, I think they're going to run away with the East. I know the Rays just traded Austin Meadows, but they're also the Rays, and they're just going to figure it out and win 90 games. So I still have them. I don't have the Yankees because I think the Yankees are just going to underachieve. I think it's as simple as that. I don't think I know they don't like Aaron Boone as a manager. I think he's fine. But can you trust Aaron Judge to stay healthy? He did last year, but I don't know if he will again this year. Can you trust Stanton to stay healthy? Labor Torres? Yeah, they got hurt a bunch last year, and I just don't know if they can do it again. I think they're winning it all. I really like what they've done, and I agree with you. The injury concerns are horrific. However, at some point, something has to give, and they have been so unlucky with injuries. I'm just going to bank on it clicking and with my predictions, I've I've noticed that when I get really analytical and really dive into the to yeah, the I didn't dive in too hard. I do horrible, or like I'll get all the ones everybody else got right and then miss like some obvious ones. So I just said, "What does my gut feel like? What do I think is going to happen?" I started looking at stuff on the board, looking at rosters, moving stuff around. I was like, "There's my field. I that's that's it for the for the year." I didn't dive too much into it, and I would not be shocked if I got all of them right because of that. So we'll see. Yeah, and on the on the NL side, like I know the Mets are kind of everyone's darling too, but they're the Mets. Full stop. They just underachieve. It's just what they do. And I know they have Degrom, but he's out. Scherzer is hurt. Like I, there's someone needs to audit these like fi- these trainers and physical therapists for the Mets because these dudes are getting hurt a lot. It's nuts. It's kind of like it's almost like not even almost. It is concerning. But the Braves lost their, like, a dude that's going to get a statue outside that stadium in Freddie Freeman, and they got better. Probably. Like, Matt Olsen is, I don't think people realize how good Matt Olsen is. He's going to mash in that park. He is. And, oh, yeah, in case you forgot, the Braves didn't have Ronald Acuna last year for half of that season. And they still won the World Series, and they're getting him back in about a month. So, I, I know how hard it is to repeat. But the fact that a World Series team lost a guy like that in Freddie Freeman and they got better, I have a hard time believing that they can't do it. I know the Dodgers are going to be freakish because they have a literal all-star team as their lineup. I know Dave Roberts has come out and said, 
we're winning the World Series, like book it, which I love that confidence. I think the Braves are just a better team right now. The Dodgers are an injury and Cody Bellinger away from losing the division to the Padres again. Or I don't think I, I don't buy into the Padres just because I don't know what their rotation is going to look like. I know, like they have. I know, like Darvish was one of the Sean worst. Manaya. Darvish was one of the worst pitchers in baseball after the Sticky Stuff ban last year. <laughs> People always like, how does he throw this pitch with such tight breaks so late? It's like I can tell you. I can tell you why. Do you really want to know? Yeah, there's only so, one way to I'm, do it, Garrett. Yeah, I, my last point is I think the Mariners, this is the year the Mariners break their playoff drought for the first time since I was five. They're winning so, the West. I don't, I'm not going to go that far. I think the Astros are still good. We believe. I know we believe. Oh, I, if they do it, we I'll believe. love it. And I'm not going to hate it. And I'm just going to, uh, and out of my playoff thing, I'm just going to be angry that the Angels have the two best players in the sport and one guy that is coming off the greatest season in Major League history and a dude that's probably top five in the history of the sport. And they're going to miss the playoffs again because they're the Angels. They're not missing the play. They got a wild card spot, Joel. I, I sure hope so because we need Shohei Otani and Mike Trout in the playoffs. That needs to yes, happen. Yes, baseball needs it. Rig baseball it. I don't care it. how you have to rig it. Rig it so the Angels can make the playoffs. Even Vegas, if it means you. your thing. Yeah, exactly. Let's go. Well, thank you all for listening to this one. And uh, if you see me out at the K for whatever reason on uh, on Thursday, be sure to say what's up. I can't wait to get back out there and watch a ball game. I'm so glad we're getting 162 in, and it is baseball season, folks. God, I'm happy. Talk to you all next week.